Welcome to this episode of Through the Educational Looking Glass. I am one of your hosts, Courtney Edelman. And I'm your other host, Don Sturm. We're both in coaching roles in Morton Unit School District 709 in Central Illinois. Thanks for joining us as we try to gain clarity on the variety of topics concerning teachers today. Let's take a closer look at today's topic. Today's topic is looking at ourselves as effective collaborators. And so, Courtney, I want you to imagine a situation. I'm where, ready. I'm okay. Ready. Okay. We've got a team of social workers, teachers, administrators, speech pathologists, school psychologists, and they're all sitting around a table and they're problem solving. Each one of those people has a role to play. Each has an expertise that they come to the table with. And all this is being done with one goal, and that is to help a student or students in general. When it works like this, it is an absolute thing of beauty, and it makes a monumental difference in the life of a student who's at the center of their work. That's a feel-good moment. It is. And, you know, we say story, but we actually heard something like that from someone in the district that that happened, that was happening this year. Yeah. And her description of it, and then also description of like the emotion of it. Yep. And how you really did walk away from that feeling fulfilled as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then, I mean, we always, you know, try to look at it from a lens of, you know, research. And I think John Hattie is a name that comes in a lot of times when we're looking at best practice and research. And so that's where our discussion went next is, well, I mean, Hattie would look at this and he would say, well, there's collective teacher efficacy in practice, right? And um, to, to give some definition to that, the belief that teachers can more positively impact the learning of their students if they work together as a team And he would say, if you have this collective teacher efficacy, I mean, it has a, an ability to have a huge positive impact on the learning that takes place. Yeah. And I know I said before we started to record that we wouldn't get into the weeds on this because you can get into the weeds with Hattie. You sure can. But uh, a point four, just a point four is significant. It's a, it represents approximately a year's worth of learning, which we would expect. Exactly. It's that hinge point. Collective teacher efficacy comes in at a 1.57. It's huge. I, I mean, it is it is the number one. Now, it wasn't always the number one, but it is the number one. And I think about so many, like I think about when I first started teaching, it, it there was not a collective feeling necessarily. It was, I go in, I be the best teacher I can be in my classroom, right, wrong, whatever, education is changed yeah and it is there is this expectation of being um more collaborative and so as we get into this episode what we want to talk about is how do we use the collaborative opportunities we have to increase our sense of collective efficacy um and for us in our district in 709 it's very timely because we just started actually we're recording this uh the day after we did our first learning teams that we have, but districts have PLCs. I mean, I think every district is in a situation, whether it's a PLC, whether it's a department situation, a grade level situation. I would love to know a school that exists that doesn't have some aspect of collaboration as part of their school experience. Yeah. And I was looking up information for something else and came across, you know, the Illinois Educator Code of Ethics, which I'm sure we all consult on the the daily, right? Um, And there's actually 
a section in there that talks about our responsibilities to our colleagues. And the expectation is that we collaborate with others and to quote it, that we work together to create a respectful, professional, and supportive school climate that allows all educators to maintain their individual professional integrity. And that surprised me that there was that focus from you know, ISBE about our obligation to collaborate. Well, and when you asked me this morning as we were refining this and you're like, hey, have you ever heard of this? I, I would like to say yes. Absolutely, Courtney, you know that we have to sign. I like, I don't know if this is part of that thing that we're supposed to sign off on, yeah. but I, it's not something that stood out. So I think that really plays into this idea of um, collaboration and that there there is a responsibility. Um, there's an ethical responsibility yeah. to collaborate. And so, I mean, going forward I, with with this episode, we want to kind of dig into how do we do this then? Yeah. We might know that this is an expectation that we have. We might feel personally that it's part of our role, but how do you navigate collaboration in an effective way? Yeah. And we thought one place to start is just very simply, you have to know your strengths and you have to know the strengths of others. Yeah. And we will drop in the, it's not show notes, but the description uh, we'll drop in a strength finder. There's quite a few out there, but one that we really um, like as a way of trying to figure out what am I good at? What am I strong at? Um, yesterday, um, a colleague and I presented to a group of students and we did, it was called Strength Spotter. And one of the quotes we shared, or uh, one of the uh, statistics that we shared was two thirds of people don't know their own strengths. And if you don't know your own strengths, you don't, I, I think it goes into this next one. I, it kind of melds into that role. Yeah. Well, thing. and we do a disservice to ourselves. I think when we don't show up knowing our strengths, Yeah. right? I mean, I go all the way back to the, our very first episode, season one, and part of the catalyst for that was the fact that, wait, when we ask teachers what they're doing well, it's hard for them to answer. Well, that's true. I mean, I hadn't forgotten that episode, but yeah, that's a great connection. Yeah, and, and so I think, you know, we owe it to ourselves to show up being our best selves with a purpose and knowing what we're strong at and what we bring to the group and then being willing to recognize that in the people that we're working with as well. Yeah, I was going to say, and I think there's, I, I don't remember if it was, our district or if it was my work with idea but that idea of when you do a strength like do you put it on like a name badge like yeah. do you um i think it was the dina imser thing like knowing everybody needs to know what i am good at or what i and i don't know that good and strong are the same things yeah i, I don't so don't let those two words go but i think it really is the strength and that factors in, like you were saying, to to what role we take on in that group. I think naturally teachers are people who take on a lot yep. and, and maybe um, don't know how to not take on things that were better portioned out to somebody else. And so if we know, hey, your role, this is what you're strong at, this is what your expertise is in, um, that's that's your place, then I can I can let go of that. I don't have to take that on. I can work within my strengths in my role and 
and, and really then work more cooperatively with people around me, probably more efficiently. Yeah, I and mean, I'm thinking back to the example that I gave. I mean, if I'm sitting at a table with a speech pathologist and they're giving advice on how to manage a student in my class or whatever those roles are, I need to, as an educator, say, oh, that's the role that they have. They're an expert at that. Hopefully, you built a relationship with that person. And it does. It. T- I, I like how you put that. It takes that burden off of you because I think so much today we hear teachers talk about all of those things that we are expected to do yep. as educators. And I, I get that. This gives us permission if there are people with certain roles to say, you know what, I'm going to defer to you. It, I may struggle with that, and mm-hmm. I may think, ooh, I don't know if that's going to work, but I'm going to try that because you're the expert. That's your strength. And I think even, you know, as we as we return to that really well-functioning image that you painted for us at the beginning, we know that when we get into a collaborative setting, there will be conflict. Yep. I mean, there will. And we don't have to... Um, avoid conflict entirely. And we have to understand that conflict can be healthy. And I, and I go back to that idea of, you know, there has to be tension in life to move forward and, and to make progress. And Martin Luther King Jr. said that, you know, as a part of, of his writing. Um, And so when we think about conflict as being healthy, I think understanding what's good about it or how it can, um, how it can create progress is important. And so just we can go back and forth and jot uh, down a couple of these ideas for them um, based on that Edutopia article that we will also put in our resources. Um, But healthy conflict can cause us to wrestle with ideas, and that can be a positive thing. It also can cause us to ask questions that probe for deeper understanding of a topic. Yeah, and this next one, I think it it sounds so easy, but it is so hard, and that is we change our minds. Yep. That based on just those, like we've wrestled with these ideas, we've asked questions about like, okay, well, I explain how this is going to work and explain how this is better than what we've been doing. But then we ultimately say, okay, based on the strengths of people who are in the room, I am willing to say, okay, I'm willing to go down this path for a little bit. And sometimes... It's easier to go down a path that we're uncomfortable with or unfamiliar with if we're demonstrating curiosity. Yep. And, yeah. and that's another part of healthy conflict, demonstrating curiosity. And uh, just a side note on the uh, strength spotter that we're going to put in there, my number one strength is curiosity. I believe that. Yeah, I mean, and it I, is. I truly I, do, yeah. And I don't know that I've always been that, but I think over the last probably 10 to 15 years, curiosity has consumed me. And so I know that about myself. Um, And I think the other thing that when you are having that conflict, that healthy conflict in a department, in a whatever group it is that you're in, as an educator, the student needs to be at the center. Yeah. I mean, and again, it, it sounds easy, but sometimes it's easy to bring up things that are not necessarily that student centered. Yeah. And as coaches, we uh, we love talking about Hattie and his impact yep. um, size or effect size. We also um, really love talking about Elena Aguilar and her work um, and, and the, the vantage point that she comes 
to, to, to discussions of, of coaching from. And she has four steps that we can incorporate in order to plan to cultivate healthy conflict. And this is what one of our instructional coaches shared with Absolutely. us, right? L. Hygis. Yeah. So. And so, again, not looking at conflict as something to avoid, but actually, to, you know, reframing it as something to cultivate, yep. like cultivating healthy conflict. So she says, first of all, start with your experience of conflict. You know, don't avoid it, but define it, name it, talk about early memories of it, and and really face it, um, and even track uh, examples of it that you have from from your experience in the past. And, you know, I thought quite a bit about that one. I, that one to me is interesting because at first I was like, I wonder your experience with conflict, but that's part of that. If I understand that your experience with conflict, Courtney, is X, mm-hmm. that really, as a respectful colleague, I'm going to take that into account when we start to have conflict. Like, look, I remember Courtney said her experience with conflict is X person always talking over me, never letting me finish my statement. I need to make sure I'm not doing it. I mean, I shouldn't do that, period. Right. But I need to make sure that I'm not um, doing that. And I, she also shares this idea in engaging in uh, storytelling and share your experiences of conflict. And it's that empathy that so really one and two are very they're very connected to one another well and i do love that though because i think stories are powerful oh yeah and if we don't know other people's stories it's much more difficult to empathize to relate and to really build a solid i think relationship with people um the next one is create a shared vision for what conflict might look and sound like for your team so I've been mean, talking about like, hey, here's where we might face it. Here's what it might look like. Here's how we're going to know that because not everybody's definition of conflict is going to be the same. Yeah. Right. And so if I don't even realize that you're getting upset or that there is a, a difference of opinion or like we've we've gone down that road into conflict, my response might be completely different. And it might go against the norms. If you're establishing norms for your for your team, it might go against the norms if I don't even realize that we're down that road. And I do think uh, the norms, uh, let's make sure that doesn't get lost. Okay. I, I'm a big fan of establishing norms in meetings. Now, it tends to be one that a lot of people, I think I'm, maybe I'm just dreaming this, but it seems like people kind of roll their eyes when you say norms. But it, it is nice because you decide as a group, look, if somebody says, this is making me uncomfortable, then one of the norms is we stop and we step back and say, yep. okay, what's, let's have this conversation. So I think norms are really um, important. And it allows us to be proactive rather than reactive. Yes. And sometimes in the reactive is where we go into unhealthy conflict. And then we say things that we wish, and we've all done that yep. before. We sit Absolutely. and just agonize over it for weeks. Yep. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. And the the last one that she mentions is the idea of practicing having conflict. And I, I shared with you yesterday, my wife and I were at a group. She led this discussion on comedians and what at what point do comedians go too far? And we were really practicing conflict because of 12 to 15 people in the room. We didn't all agree but we were practicing. It was low stakes. Yeah, it wasn't. We weren't talking about a student. We weren't talking about. We were just talking about 
comedians and when do they go too far, but we were practicing it. Yeah. And so picking some, I don't know what a low stakes would be in a meeting well, to practice. And she suggests there, if you want to start with super low stakes, yeah, you know, the, talk about ice cream flavors, talk about something that, you know, nobody uh, that I know of has a very, you know, emotional connection to. Yeah. Well, it's chocolate. It absolutely is not. Okay. But it's, you know, cookies and cream. But anyway, um, yeah, very low stakes and and just kind of practice there um, before you get into things that are more meaningful to people. Yeah. Um, as we move on into another aspect, and that is, it, it's a tough one, and that is learning to be vulnerable. And um, I think about who we work with and Stephanie Brown and her work with wellness. And she talks about all the time that if you aren't regulated, then it's hard to regulate others. It's yeah. hard to be in a situation that demands regulation. And if you as a team member, a collaborative team member have something that you're going through, like finding people that you can talk to to help get you regulated so that then you can be that contributing member. You can have that healthy conflict. And we talked about showing up as your best self who understands who you are and understands your strengths. And I think when we think about what stands in the way of vulnerability, it can be that we're dysregulated. It can also be that, you know, um, we're not willing to show up in a way that invites collaboration and you know your phrase don't yuck someone's yum that was elizabeth merce okay a friend of mine from virginia beach said and yeah i mean you know like the number of times you think if you say oh i love shrimp and i'm like oh gross yeah. like well, that's then i'm not like, going to be vulnerable then yeah. if i show up with full of excitement about what we're about to do in this collaborative setting and there's this, you know, from one or more, it only sometimes takes one person to be incredibly negative about something. Yeah. Well, now I might shut down. I might not open myself up as much. And maybe I don't want to admit that I was looking forward to working on this or that the goal that we set is really meaningful to me. Yeah. And so just being mindful of those things that can stand in the way of uh, vulnerability. Um, love Brene Brown. And um, she has spent her life really researching vulnerability. And I love this quote. Uh, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And it's hard because it's, if you open up and like you said, you're met with as you, it, the phrase that you put on that, our outline, that dampening someone yeah. else's flame it does. It shuts it down. And so I think we need to be very careful of that. We always like to leave you with reflection questions. And so the first one today is, what are your strengths? And what aspects of your collaborative team need to be better defined to strengthen the work that you are doing? And lastly, how can you empower other people's enthusiasm for the work they are doing? One of our main goals of this podcast is to create meaningful connections. If you'd like to share your responses to the questions, we'd love to listen. This can be done through the Google form that we have linked through the public site on Anchor or through Anchor's voice response option. Additionally, consider sharing your thoughts with a colleague or an instructional coach to open up meaningful dialogue. We have enjoyed taking this journey with you through the educational looking glass.